There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. This week's episode is all about parsing through your trail camera data to start building a viable hunting plan. There have been different points in my hunting life where I've used cameras mostly just to get pictures of deer without really thinking about what that meant. I just wanted velvet buck images, and I didn't really think to use them to inform my hunting strategies. That was obviously a mistake. It's much better to analyze the imagery and videos to try to develop a clear picture of deer usage on your ground, and then figure out what that means to your season. Or what the hell you should do if you're just not getting any decent pictures. How do you reset your strategy? These issues, which we all deal with at some point, are the thread that winds through this entire episode. Today's episode is all about what to do with all of those images or the lack of images you're getting throughout the summer. What's the inventory look like? And what does this mean for your late summer scouting? What does it mean for your potential ambush sites? How do the images you're capturing now influence your stand hanging missions later? I'm going to answer all of these questions, I hope. But first, let's consider that at this point of the year, your trail cameras have been soaking for at least a few weeks, if not more. Now, if you're running cell cameras, you're probably getting some images of big velvet bucks, or at least hopefully you're getting some images of big velvet bucks, And hopefully they're stuck to a sweet summer pattern that will carry right on through until the bow opener. But if you're running traditional cameras, you don't know what's going on out there and you're probably getting the itch to get out there and check them. But you might be wondering if they've been out there long enough. Now, trail camera soak times are just up to the individual. Personally, I base how long I leave mine out on how easy they are to get to and how likely it is that I'll spook a bunch of deer by going in. Sometimes, like on properties that aren't very close to home, you just have to check cameras whenever you can. I actually like these the best because then I can uh, I can stay disciplined on this just by sheer geographic uh, logistics. But there's other times where your cameras are closer to home where it's best to make a calculated approach 
and wait for the conditions that might favor you a little better. Now, this might seem like overkill, but if I have a chance to try to get in and check my cameras right before a rainstorm is forecasted, that's when I'll go. This is one of those things that has probably never helped me actually kill a buck, but it makes me feel better. It also makes me feel better when I've gone in to hang a few stands. As I'm walking out of the woods, I see a cloud bank building in the west that looks ominous. It can't hurt to wash away a little human scent after an intrusion, can it? Now, some folks will only check their trail cameras by driving in on an ATV or when the wind isn't blowing to likely bedding areas. Others will wipe or spray down their cameras after checking them to try to eliminate their human scent. Now, listen, as someone who has messed around with good bird dogs a lot, I'd have to say that if you're trying to wipe down your cameras or spray them down after touching them, and then you believe that you're pulling a fast one on the deer, you're probably not. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother with this unless it just makes you feel good. Then if it does, go nuts. No matter how careful you are with your camera checks, or totally carefree if that's your jam, you're going to have to do something with the images and the videos you've captured. Now this may seem strange, but the easiest results to deal with are the duds. If your camera has been out for three weeks and it's just not showing much, you know you've got it wrong. As I've stated in previous episodes, that's okay. You're eliminating dead spots. It's probably time to just move your camera and reset. But before you do, ask yourself what you got wrong. Why did that fence crossing that is pounded with tracks and little puffs of white belly hair stuck on the barbs just not produce? Is your timing just wrong? As far as maybe summer range or nearby food sources? Or is the sign old and not as great as you really believed? Is there a new break in the fence 100 yards away that they're likely using because they can walk through it instead of jumping over? Maybe something as simple as the landowner coming in and cutting an alfalfa field for his cattle has changed things around. Where they've got multiple food sources, something like this can reduce deer traffic on a specific field by quite a bit. But it's often something that lasts only for a few weeks and then they return to normal or better than normal. Now, a good card pull is fun, but sometimes the worst card pulls are the ones that teach us the most. If you've absolutely flamed out, try to figure out why. And I mean really, really try to figure out why. Is the sign you set up on old or deceptive? This might seem weird, but there are spots like river crossings with certain kinds of mud or sand that will look like absolute deer highways because of the accumulation of weeks of tracks, but they really aren't that great. It's more likely just a couple of deer walking through there a lot over a long period of time. The same goes for wetlands. If you hunt swamps or boggy territory, the trails will often look like cattle paths. The problem with this is that you might be looking at a trail that just maintains the beat down look due to the soft, spongy nature of the ground. I see this in northern Minnesota and northern Wisconsin a lot. And while the trails all look amazing, they really aren't. They just formed 40 years ago and have been walked on randomly since while being further carved into the ground. You know, you just might be off seasonally. A hillside bench that was covered in rubs in March might seem like a no-brainer camera spot. But unless you plan to set it in July and leave it until Halloween, you're probably in for a few months of disappointment. Bucks have summer ranges and clear summer patterns. Depending on your hunt region, they might closely mirror fall ranges and patterns, or they might not be barely on the same planet. You might have a great spot for the camera, just really bad timing with it. Or you might go the opposite route and have a camera up over a mineral lick or a bait site or maybe even a mock scrape. The pictures you get on these attractions might cloud the reality of your deer movement or the numbers by showing multiple visits each day by all the deer in your neighborhood. 
for inventory. This is incredible because you get to see everybody who's living there right now for actionable hunting intel. It's not so great unless you can keep the minerals or the bait out. And as for the minerals, they often become much less of a draw come fall. So you might see that anyway. For bait sites where they're legal, you probably don't really need to think too hard about your trail camera recon, to be honest, because you know you're going to hunt over that bait and you know how it's going to play into your hunting strategies. What if your trail cameras show, I don't know, a decent amount of traffic, but it's mostly nighttime movement? This is a tricky one. Nocturnal movement in the summer doesn't portend great daylight movement in the season, usually. So think about it this way, my friends. When you train a bird dog, whether you've got a German short hair who specializes in roosters or ruffs, or you got a black lab that you're molding into a duck hunting machine, a dog that is like at 98% in training will seem like a dog that is going to be near perfect in the field or in the blind. But there is an attrition rate with performance when the big show opens, and that super steady lab will suddenly start breaking the moment the first load of steel heads skyward. That GSP that locks so beautifully in a tripod point for your planted wings and planted birds, he's now creeping in on the roosters and blowing them out as you hoof it over to him. What does this have to do with trail cameras? Well, those bucks aren't going to get less nocturnal when the season opens and they start feeling the pressure. What does this have to do with trail cameras? Well, those bucks aren't likely to get less nocturnal when the season opens and they start feeling the pressure. It's going to go the other way, and you can count on there being some attrition in daylight movement from what you saw in your summer scouting efforts to what you'll see when you're actually hunting. This means that if your spot you're monitoring in midsummer shows mostly nighttime bucks, it's time to reverse engineer those images and find the spots where they might get their picture taken when the sun is still up. Now, it's easy to look at a bunch of nighttime photos and think that the bucks must be totally nocturnal. So what good does it do to move a camera to capture more nighttime images of them in a different spot? That might be the case where you're hunting, although it's probably not. They're moving somewhere in daylight, and if you don't find that spot now, you'll have a hell of a time finding it during the season. I've only encountered one buck that I really got obsessed with that convinced me he was nearly always nocturnal. In the summer, he wasn't, although he was damn close. In the season, he had a routine that was so predictable and totally reliant on the cover of darkness. Every other deer I've ever taken a fancy to, which is a lot of deer at this point, has offered up some level of daylight movement in the summer and throughout the season. That movement is what matters, so pay attention to the ratio of daylight to nighttime photos on your card checks and react accordingly. Those bucks are probably out there walking around in daylight somewhere, and your job is to find it, find those spots. And you might think, if I go in there and mess around now, won't I make them more nocturnal? Maybe, but what other choice do you have? And how nocturnal do you think one midsummer visit or a couple of midsummer visits is really going to make the bucks? Nighttime photos in the summer are probably way more likely a result of your camera just being in a spot where they move at night versus them being nocturnal due to pressure. Now, a lot of you guys are familiar with the old hunting tradition of eating you know some organ the heart or a chunk of liver off the first animal you kill i had that when i was a little kid and it was a big deal organ meats were always prized by frontier people who knew the importance of getting a lot of different minerals and nutrients and as often is the case those guys were on to something 
because organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. And you can get the same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil made exclusively from regeneratively raised, grass-fed, and finished cattle. Heart and Soil's unique freeze-drying process means all those important nutrients are trapped in ensuring you experience every one of the benefits of nature's superfood in a clean, convenient, taste-free capsule. Find out more at heartandsoil.co and make sure to use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. That's heartandsoil.co. Use the code MEATEATER. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time, Seafoam Motor Treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. And it's really simple. When you pour it into your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can into your gas tank and let it do its job. Now you probably know someone who's used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. Because people everywhere rely on it to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. So, help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Now, what if your camera poll shows day after day of monster bucks walking past? This is the other end of the spectrum. What if when you're scrolling through images, it's just Big velvet rack after big velvet rack. The first thing you'll be tempted to do is look at the real frequency and the consistency. Did a bachelor group cruise through the first thing in the morning five out of the last seven days? Or did a solo stud show up randomly multiple times on multiple days without a seeming care in the world? To better recognize these patterns and see them fully, you need to organize your photos. Now, I tend to go through the full card pull first. I look at everything. And then, after I've looked at every single image, I start calling out all the non-deer images. From there, you can decide how far you want to take it personally. Some folks keep all of their deer images. Others pair them down to just mature bucks. If you run a pile of cameras, this is a good way to go so that you don't lose sight of the actionable intel in the midst of tons of images and videos. If your date and time is set correctly on your camera, Whittling down the imagery to the bucks you're most interested in will really clarify their patterns and simply declutter this aspect of scouting. This also gives you a real honest look at what's going on buck-wise and often shows you that good things are happening where your cameras are placed. When this happens, it's fun, and it's easy to think as long as you've got promising images, most of the work is done. But there's a common sentiment in investing where you should ask not what could go right with a company you're planning to make a bet on, but what could go wrong. How can they screw up their business? When it comes to whitetails, don't get blinded just by the good stuff, like tons of sweet trail camera images and videos. They've definitely answered some questions for you, like who is living there and what they like to do at certain points of the day, but this is a starting spot. Where are they coming from and where are they going? Are they likely to stay on that pattern throughout the fall when they shed their velvet and they start getting hunted hard? My experience with that is almost always a hard no. It happens, but not that often. 
The reality with summertime trail camera images is that you are getting a good look into a small part of the deer's life outside of the hunting season. This just helps you make more accurate predictions on what might happen when you can actually hunt them. It also informs your scouting strategies from here on out. When I set a camera that is just a winner buck-wise, I get in with a few more cameras and try to piece together a bigger part of their travels. Sometimes this is possible. Other times, like on small properties, it's not really feasible. You'll have to gauge that for yourself. But remember, knowledge is key here. Even if you can see what those bucks are doing 150 yards down the trail or where they tend to filter through in the morning after they leave your food plot, you're narrowing down so much of the important stuff. Like For example, instead of just pinning your hopes on the back corner of a field where you're getting tons of images during the evenings now, figure out where those bucks are coming from. Try to figure out where they stage now so you'll know where they stage when the season opens up and they shed their velvet. You might kill a buck in a field on opening night, but if you don't, you've got to know where he's most likely to be killable after he figures out where the danger zone is, which is on the edge of that field. In my experience, this tends to take no more than a week on pressure ground before you have to adapt to it. And on some properties, it feels like they have the whole thing dialed in even before the season opens up because of the increased amount of scouting and stand hanging going on. It's kind of like hunting elk in an OTC unit these days, an over-the-counter unit. By the time the actual season opens, half of the tag holders out there have hiked into every meadow and wallow and pushed the elk to their secondary spots, into their security cover. If you don't believe that's possible, drive out there out west sometime and sit on a beautiful meadow on public land within five miles of a trailhead on opening night. It is not a guarantee that the bulls will be wise to the pressure, but it's damn close these days. Deer react the same way elk do, even if they might not go as far. They back off the open food sources and they travel routes in response to the pressure. And knowing where those spots are is huge for staying in the game past opening week. And you can figure those spots out now by running trail cameras with a plan. If you absolutely have to, run your cameras on those food sources. That's fun. But run a second set farther in the woods, along trails or along season-long pinch points. Try to figure out where the bucks are coming from, even if you don't dial in specific bedding sites. You just want to know those travel routes right now, so that if opening week doesn't pan out, you've got a set of images and videos that can inform your decision on where to go next. And this might sound crazy, but I'm actually convinced that the least dangerous trail camera check is the one with the least exciting amount of deer pictures. I mentioned this before, those duds are okay. Because resetting is often a simple process. The card pulls that actually get us into trouble are the good enough and the freaking unbelievable. In either case, it's like license to stop looking with the freaking unbelievable pull being the most dangerous because not only of the attrition rate and movement as the season opens, but it's also a safe bet no matter when your opener is, but especially if it's a little later, that those banging summer spots might not be so great by the time you can hunt. It's also dangerous because when you've got a trail camera that is just filling up with images of toads all summer long, then you can convince yourself you don't need to do a bunch of other work. You know where the bucks are. You've seen them. You've seen a ton of pictures of them. You've got this. This is a false sense of security issue, and you don't want to fall for it. Enjoy those card pulls and the anticipation of great hunts in that location, but don't take it for granted that it's a done deal that it's a done deal in a few months when you can actually hunt. 
If you're not creating deer draws like food plots or ponds or bait sites, then you have to work under the assumption that a great spot is a moving target. It might be where your camera showed tons of evening movement throughout August, but only for a few weeks of September, or it might be the acorn flat the bucks filter through in the morning on their way back to bed that actually turns into the winter. Even that will last for a week and then die off, leaving you looking for a third location. To paraphrase a quote that has been adopted by corporate America to the point of nausea, you've got to skate where the puck is going, not where it has been. That Gretzky guy was onto something there hockey-wise, and it applies to whitetail hunters as well. Only we have the chance to hang some technology in the woods that just might prove to be the crystal ball that tells us where the tall tine pucks are going to be at certain points of the season. Now, if you're running cell cameras, you've got a blockchain-style amount of data coming your way every day. Use it to decide what's next camera-wise. If you need to go in and check your cameras, like you're running traditional cameras, look at the forecast and then head in when a major frog choker is set to hit and wash away all your scent. Pay close attention to your digital clues and use them, not to reinforce what you know, like deer sure eat a lot of soybeans in the summer, but what you don't know. Like exactly... How do the bucks get to the soybeans in the summer? And how often do they stop at a small pond on their way there? Or maybe hop across an old barbed wire fence that bisects the biggest chunk of woods on the property 300 yards away from the groceries. Check those cameras when you can, when you're confident you won't blow the woods out, and then filter the imagery through your personal system. Keep the keepers, ditch the rest. Pay attention to when deer showed up and why. What do those images mean to your future scouting efforts and eventually your stand hanging missions? Be realistic about them and what they show and try to anticipate what images this week mean to you in two months. Organize this knowledge and use it to flavor your back half a summer scouting plans to complete a fuller picture of how you can put yourself on quality deer movement as soon as the starting pistol goes off, especially If you pair this trail camera strategy with some old school scouting that involves sitting back on the glass and going full voyeur on the deer, which is the topic of next week's episode. That's it for this show, my friends. Be sure to tune in next week for more whitetail hunting advice, strategies, tips, and stories. I'm Tony Peterson, and this has been the Wire to Hunt Foundations podcast. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you right here next week. Hey, everybody knows Weber Grills. I've been using Weber Grills my whole life, and check it out. They got a pellet grill, the Weber Searwood Pellet Grill. Now, with a pellet grill, you can smoke, roast, and sear on the same grill. You can go from low and slow, okay, on smoke boost mode, or crank this thing all the way to a heat sear at 600 degrees. It's got a full great sear zone so you can put more food on the flame. Get fired up for your new Weber Searwood pellet grill. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.